Welcome to The Confidence Crown. I'm your host, Lisa Hyde, and each week I'll be sharing a solo episode or bringing in a guest that will help you bust through your fears and get you laser focused on your dreams of time and financial freedom. I want to use this podcast as a way to empower as many women as I can to be financially self-sufficient because babe, you rule. Think of me as your business bestie that's been through it all and here to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And while I'm not claiming to have all the answers, hopefully I'll help you sidestep the last two. Ladies, it is time to earn and own your crown and be the yes queen you are destined to be. Together, let's make it rain. Episode 12 of The Confidence Crown. Drive and work ethic. The struggle is real. So this episode was recorded late at night. Um, it's very raw and real, and I share a part of me that I don't talk about a lot, but um, I think it's important, and I think that um, people always want to understand what makes an entrepreneur tick, so I'm going to kind of peel back the onion here and share a lot of personal stories um, that I think have molded me, and I hope you find them helpful. Um, but there is a different tone in this. And so I'm just setting that up so you know in advance. Um, again, raw, real, and late at night. And this is what I sound like when I'm tired. (laughs) So, um, I do look forward to hearing your thoughts on the other end of it. I get asked this question a lot. Why would I want to work for myself or work this hard or work these late hours or work a non-conventional lifestyle. And it's so funny to me. I don't think I think twice about it until it's asked. I wouldn't want it any other way. I was never happy inside a cubicle or a big box of a room, um, even when I had windows. I just didn't like being or feeling enclosed. I wanted to be able to come and go when I wanted. And I wanted to be able to have the freedom to pick my hours, to pick my team, to pick my life, my choices. Um, Why am I different from the person next to me? I have no idea. But I feel like it was something that was instilled in me as a child. Um, As part of that fixer mentality, I stick with something until it's done. Like, I don't give up. I just keep going and keep going. And I think that has something to do with the satisfaction of knowing you've completed something. Does that make sense? So even if something is difficult, even if something takes time, even if it might not be perfect when it's done, I always want to see it all the way through. It could be some relationships that I'm in. It could be a business task. It could be just about anything. But delegating that power to somebody else, never been easy. 
um, staying up all hours and finishing it myself, always. Some might call it procrastination. Some might call it night owl syndrome. Um, I know that I love to keep a schedule and I think deadlines are important, but sometimes I don't have the, and I want to call it motivation, but I don't have the drive or the intrigue or the, the will to do it until I know it's going to be done right. Does that make sense? So here I am late on a Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, completing this episode. Now I had all day to do it. There were lots of things that came up and things that sidelined me, but I had a goal to finish this. And so I wanted to do it. Would I rather be asleep? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but will I be okay that I go to bed a little later than normal? Yeah. I think there's a trade-off. And I think my headspace for trade-off is different than someone else's headspace. It's one of those questions like, what are you willing to give up for a few years to have a life that most people can never have? So does it mean I miss out on a couple of fun nights out or um, maybe a TV show or just some comfort that um, you get used to in a schedule that you just want to do over and over? And sometimes you just have to say no. You know, I think, I think saying no is actually one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur. I think saying no to not being a people pleaser is also really hard. Um, There are times when the guilt of saying no is bigger than my actual desire to do something. So (laughs) for me to say no to someone... um, is actually more difficult than for me to get stuck doing something I don't want to do. That's weird, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I love how this turns into a therapy session for me as I'm unraveling my story for all of you. But I want to keep going. I want to see it through. I want to see it to the end and I want to see it succeed because I believe that I can do it even if I've never done it before. I've been interviewed on a podcast before, but it was somebody else's podcast. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't know how to make it work. So I've been figuring it out as I go. And I've brought people in to help me, to teach me, to show me. And I'm not afraid to keep learning. I think that's another thing that works in this business headspace is that you always have to be open to change. But is it going to be a hit right off the bat? I don't know. I'm telling my story and you don't know me and now you're learning about me. Um, But I'm letting you in. You know, like I've said before, the good, the bad, the ugly. The band-aid is ripped off. I'm sharing all. I've always felt that I was an open book. I've never felt I really had anything to hide. Um, 
And if I really truly understood what made me tick and want to keep going when most people give up out of pure frustration or dissatisfaction with the results or fear, I just keep going. I'm like that energizer bunny. I just keep going and going and going uh, because I believe and I know that there's more out there and that my time will come and that hopefully I will have helped somebody else along the way because that's all I've ever really wanted to do is inspire others to want to be better. As a talent agent and a manager, I have to start off by saying, I spent years in the training program um, when you, to become a talent agent, there's, um, there's no grad school, but they call it working in the mailroom, which is like grad school. <clears throat> you learn the ins and outs of the agency. You get paid very little. You work in extremely long hours and you are put to the test. It's a way to weed out those who really don't want it. And I wanted it. I wanted it from a really young age. My dad and my grandfather were agents. I thought I should be an agent, even though I don't think I really even understood the full capacity of what that meant until I was in the job. But I always grew up with having actors and writers around the house and having that type of talent around me was always very natural. And I've always enjoyed helping others bring out the best in themselves. This goes back to that fixer mentality, be it a client, actor, or be it a friend or a boyfriend. I've always been there to pull out what I saw as the gold in them and make sure that they shined. So most people don't grow up wanting to work in a talent agency. <laughs> and when they get there, um, most lose interest very quickly. Like I said, hours are long. It's a lot of grunt work. You're not very well respected. You're basically being hazed. And they're seeing how far they can push you and how what will make you break, basically. Because... In entertainment and when you're representing different types of talent and when you're doing negotiations with studios, with directors, with writers, there's a clash of personalities all the time. And you're constantly having to put out fires. You're constantly having to, you know, make sure your talent is happy, but make sure the deal is solid. So you know, you've got people on both sides of the line that you're trying to please. So <laughs> as an official people pleaser, I got to play the good cop. And what was cool was when I left actually the agency world and went into management, that enabled me to have a partner in crime. So I had represented an actor I was their manager and they would have an agent and the agent and I would team up for negotiations. And so it'd be a good cop, bad cop. We both would use whatever relationships we had with the 
studios or producers um, that were involved and negotiate our terms for our client the best we could by each giving a little bit of something. So (laughs) I remember being told during my training program that um, I was too nice. I wouldn't make a good agent because I wasn't a bitch. And I laughed because I thought, well, who the hell wants to be labeled a bitch? I mean, I'm here because I want to support talent. I want them to get to fulfill their dreams. This isn't about me. So why, what do I care what people think of me? Or why would I want people to think I'm a bitch? Anyway, it never really clicked until many, many years later. But what that person was saying to me, who was a mentor, was that um, the empathetic abilities that I had, the, the, the caring that I took with everyone, um, probably didn't make me the best negotiator because it was clear whose side I was on. And I always thought it was funny. I, I never thought there was a question. Weren't we always on the side of our client? <laughs> I mean, that was the whole point, right? We're supposed to be defending the client. We're supposed to be providing the best deal for them. Well, yes and no, because the agency could also represent the producer or the director or even someone at the studio. I mean, it, it's funny. Um, there could be many people involved in one deal who get different aspects of it. So <laughs> you do have to make everyone happy. It's really interesting that people please their part. But yes, I always thought it was better to be nice and what is it, bees to honey, um, that I would attract the type of person that I wanted to be around, the type of clients that I wanted, the type of other agents I wanted to work with. I mean, it was not um, it was not an easy job in the sense that it was very competitive and it was not easy in the quantity of hours that we put in and the amount of knowledge that we were supposed to compute <laughs> in those days. Um, you know, there's scripture reading and synopsis you're giving and deals that you're negotiating and whatever needs and wants your talent needs have. I mean, oh my gosh, the lists are hysterically long and crazy. Um, So there's a never-ending quantity of information being passed through your brain at any moment, and you have to be able to make quick decisions. And so going back to the latter half of the business as a manager, I found it so much more intriguing because I got to wear multiple hats. I could produce my clients work with them. And during negotiations, again, that good cop, bad cop with the agent or the attorney we were working with, we could play off of each other and be able to, in the end, be the better representative of the talent because we were covering all aspects of everyone's needs so you never gave up I don't know you just you you just went and you pushed until you got the deal that you wanted and sometimes you had to you know sacrifice something for another but it was never it was never going to be to sacrifice the client right that always was first 
Um, but sometimes someone would get hurt and that was always tough because again, you're here to help inspire and you're here to help their dreams come true. And so again, as a manager, I had a lot more flexibility. I had the chance to really dive in deep with my clients and find out what they wanted in the long haul. So it was cool when you'd get a client who seemed pretty raw and new to the business, but who had some solid vision of where they wanted to be, you know, what did they want to achieve? And working with that type of talent was incredibly um, stimulating. And again, I'd work all hours. You would do anything for this person because you saw that vision as well. And you knew that if they just created a good foundation for themselves and that they were consistent and that they, if they, you know, showed up for auditions on time, if they showed up for their, you know, stage time at the comedy club, if they showed up and they did what was required for those who were making the decisions, basically producers are investing in the talent and they have to know that that talent is going to show up and hit their mark, right? So, so much of being an artist is just showing the people who are creating the project that you're worthy, (laughs) that you're reliable, um, that you are not going to let your extracurricular activities um, keep you from showing up on set on time and cost people money in other ways. So it was always a battle, but I wouldn't have changed it for anything. It's so funny. It was a ton of effort um, for some big payoff, some small. It was very much like gambling full-time. You'd be on a hot streak and you'd be earning and creating tons of wealth. And then there'd be seasons where it was dry, where you struck out and where you never hit a big jackpot. But you still have to keep going because like gambling, there's a bit of an addiction in there. And you know that it just takes one more, you know, one, one, it just takes that next hit to get you back on top and to get your client back on top. So, ooh, yeah, I think um, for my personal personality, for my real, um, the fixer, the people pleaser, and the um, maternal soul that I've always been, It was a full body experience um, being an agent and a manager because it took everything out of me. Um, There was a point as a trainee, as an agent, that I was um, so stressed out. I wasn't sleeping and you just kind of ate junk and you ate whenever you could. And again, up all hours and really not having a life of your own outside of that. You really were dedicated to the agency you worked for. You had to be available all the time, 24-7. That and for your clients, because if you weren't, that's when you lost them. 
So I remember at some point I started like losing my hair. Like my I had bangs. It was a it was a bang era. And um <laughs> I was also coloring my hair dark at that time, which was odd, but that was that was the that was what it was. Dark hair, dark eyebrows, dark lipstick. Um and my hairdresser kept saying every time she was in, she's like, is it me or are we losing your bangs? I feel like every time you come in here, you've got less and less hair. And yeah, in fact, I was. Um, the stress of not being healthy, the stress of working 24-7, the stress of working for someone else and not really being in love with what I was doing was causing my body harm. And um, it was a little heartbreaking. So in the end, I realized the agency world itself was not my calling, even though I thought it was. Being a manager was going to give me that flexibility I needed. And the thing with being an agent, when you work for a big agency like I did, you not only have the talent that you scout and find and bring in, but you're responsible for a list that the company provides you, plus you're responsible for covering X amount of studios. You are a booking agent. You are required to book X amount of dollars of jobs um, per month. And if you don't, well, your job is not stable um, and your client's job is not stable. So it's really interesting how that works. At an agency, if that actor doesn't book a job in six months, they can easily be let go. It sometimes takes years for talent to pop. So as a manager, you know, there was a lot more time to develop artists, to have them start kind of fresh and new, um, help mold them and create them and put them into kind of a training mode where, again, they were learning the ins and outs. They were being consistent with their auditions. They were booking roles and each role was getting bigger and we were getting to a point where they were getting steady work and then they were getting to make you know bigger choices and following through on what they wanted to do. But at the agency, you were already expected to have X amount of work under your belt, X amount of credibility or standing and if you weren't booking you were at risk for losing the agency and what many of you won't understand or know because this was definitely a different era in time this was um this was that Me Too period. So you're hearing a lot of stuff in the press this past year about um, producers, actors, and directors who were either put in a position of doing things that they didn't willingly want to or being forced to do or being at the beck and call of these powerful producers um, and directors to do things that they didn't want to do. And <clears throat> I saw this all firsthand. Um, not every detail, but um, oddly enough, um, 
a handful of my clients are the women who've come forward um, this past year. And I myself had some very uncomfortable and difficult experiences in this business as well with men that I worked with. And none of us spoke up. And it wasn't for not wanting to because we call it around the water cooler, but you know, within our peers, um, we were complaining. Um, but you couldn't complain to those above. And you wonder why and why wouldn't anyone complain? Well, um, your job was in jeopardy. Listen, I had a job that people wanted. The amount of hours that I put in and the dollars that I was, you know, required to produce were the only thing that mattered. And if I jeopardized any of that by speaking poorly about a high-earning client or a studio or anything that was actually creating money for the machine, one, nobody was really going to believe me, and two, I was going to jeopardize my own career. So I'll wrap this up by using one example because I really can't speak for those other women, although I knew them well and their stories are true. We didn't have all the knowledge that we have now. I do remember complaints being filed. I do remember there being issues about people not getting jobs and like weird hush-hush blackballing happening, Um, but there weren't full explanations. And those actresses weren't speaking up because they didn't want to. They weren't speaking up or out or talking to the right people because they knew that their career was going to end and they wanted the career more. And that's the sick part of how this all worked. So I'm going to use my example. Um, When I left the agency, I went to work for an independent producer and um, for a very short time before becoming a manager. And we did not see eye to eye on many things. Um, So there there was a kind of contentious relationship to begin with. Um, There was also a little bit of a... I don't want to say language barrier, but there was definitely a cultural barrier. And um, he did not think highly of women or regard women very highly, I should say. And working for him exposed me to a lot of things and put me into a position where, again, I'm learning something new. I'm working for a producer. He is well-established. He has important contacts. Um, This is a career-changing position to be in. So I'm just supposed to be there and kind of suck it up and, and go about it and learn, right? I'm supposed to be the sponge. I'm supposed to be learning. Well, unfortunately, um, he would do this thing in the morning where I have to, he'd come in and I'd have to give him his messages and catch him up to speed on whatever we had to get done for the day. And there would be this, what you don't understand, <laughs> it's so funny as I say it out loud, 
it doesn't quite make sense. And I'm sure some people will be like, well, why didn't you just say something? So here's this man who's older, again, very established, who is looking at me as if I'm a piece of meat or some property. I don't know how else to explain this, but the, eyeing you up and down and letting you know that he approves or disapproves of what you're wearing that day. And it's not just by the glance that you're being given, but verbally tells you, I really like the way that looks on you. Now, it seems harmless, I'm sure, to some people, but mixed with the contentious relationship we had with the rest of our day and business, again, not seeing eye to eye, having a very different opinion about art and film and music and what we are creating and knowing that he basically belittled everything I said. And so then having him look at me like I was just an object um, was really nasty. I would, I would make mental notes <laughs> in the morning when he would, when he would say, you know, how much he liked something that I was wearing. It'd be like, God, mental note, never wear that outfit to the office again. Thankfully, it was kind of an era of oversized clothes, and I think I think I just let those t-shirts and clothing and whatever I was wearing at the office just would get bigger and bigger and less and less attractive because I just didn't even want to be looked at as a object of interest by him. He was so unappealing <laughs> to me in so many ways. Um, and it continued, and we actually went from being independent um, to being connected to um, a large studio and a large production company. And I only went along because I realized it would allow me another position and I could learn <clears throat> another aspect again of how the business worked and I wouldn't have to work for him directly. And I went along and, um, you know, I wouldn't have to see him every day anymore, which was great. But when I did, I would still get that same up and down, oogling, like, ugh, ugh so gross. It's like the cat calling from, <laughs> from the old movies. Just picture the construction guys whistling and cat calling a woman as she's walking down the street. Um, when you have your business head on or hat on and you're not looking for people to be a, looking at you like a sexual object. I guess that's really the way to say it. You don't want to be oogled and whistled at and told you look hot. It makes for a very uncomfortable workspace. And it continued. And when I showed interest in a specific department um, and learning how to operate. And I was going to actually like train to run this part of the department. And I was really excited because it's something that had always intrigued me and had to do with soundtracks. And um, I was so excited to learn something new and it, you know, fall under the umbrella of this company. Um, <laughs> the first thing that happened was my former boss um, was so annoyed with me because I wasn't 
I wasn't playing along. I wasn't um, interested in servicing him. I wasn't interested in bending over for him. I wasn't interested in um, looking pretty for him. So he got rid of the department. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of classic. So I went to complain because there, there was an HR. When we were independent, there was no one I could complain to. But at the larger company, there was, and there was an HR department. And I went and I spoke to them and I explained that it's been going on for quite a while, that I was incredibly uncomfortable coming to work every day. Um, I didn't like the way that he spoke to me. I didn't like the way that he looked at me. I didn't like the way that he objectified me. And um, I was given, well, first they had to go, well, I don't know, they had to like take my information and whoever they had to talk to. And the next meeting, I was sat down with some lawyers this time, and I was told of my options, and my options were this. I could sign some paperwork and like an NDA and have it all go away and probably be paid a certain sum of money to keep my mouth quiet. But by signing that paperwork, I would be blackballed and I would never get to work in the industry again. Or, just like at the agency, I could play I could play along just like the big boys and keep going. And it just would be, well, you know, brushed under the rug, as they say. It wouldn't um, be acknowledged. Um, there'd be no payout. There'd be nothing. Um, it would just be me having to suck it up and continue to be verbally abused by this person. And now, of course, Lisa, why didn't you just sign the paperwork and take the money and run? Well, then I really still liked my industry and I still really liked my career potential. Um, I just didn't like that person I was working with. So I wasn't willing to sign it. I wasn't willing to make it go away. I just had to go away. So while he was in Europe, <laughs> there were fax machines back then, I faxed my resignation and started as a manager the next day. Because I realized staying at that company, no matter how large it was and how insulated I could have been by HR, um, I was still going to have to deal with him regularly. And it would never end because he won. <laughs> he was more powerful than I was. So, yeah, that's my Me Too story. And I'm sharing this for multiple reasons, but one in particular, which is as you grow in your careers, as you find out what really makes you tick and what you want to be doing with yourself in your life, you might come across and stumble into situations that make you uncomfortable. Luckily for you, um, times are different. You can speak up and be heard now, and it's not going to be as big of a deal. You won't have to lose your career over um, a, a bad work experience. But it's not to say that you can also call out everyone you work with. 
I think there's also extremes happening here where people who work, you know, where men and women work together and there's any kind of tension, now both parties have to be incredibly careful about what they say and what they do, which leads to a whole other complex way of working. So I think the common thread along all of this should always be respect. You know, you want to respect the people you work with, you want to respect your bosses, and you want to be respected. So again, I'm going to go back to the old adage, which is behave the way you want to be seen and speak the way you want to be spoken to. And hopefully you won't ever encounter any of the crap that I did. Um, but you do have options, but as you find yourself in this business, as you find yourself in your careers, you might come across situations that are uncomfortable and you have to decide for yourself, is it worth sticking it out or not? And again, you have many, many more opportunities and you have many more options than I did at your age going through all of this and you might not realize it now but you're incredibly lucky because of it and hopefully again you'll never have to deal with any of this but following through on your dream I'm so glad I didn't quit then so yes it always bothered me that he kind of got away with it um but I still had so many more years of that business and had I said something or taken the lawsuit, taken the, basically, basically if I had signed the contracts, if I had, sorry, signed the NDAs, if I had taken the money and if I had left that company with that and had tried to stay in the industry, um, I would have not worked again. I would have not been able to um, solidify the clients that I got, I wouldn't have been able to solidify the business that I, I ran. And um, it's always unfortunate that it happened that way. And I wish that those clients back then had felt more comfortable. I wish we all had talked about it more back then. I mean, that, that's really the, the sad part about all of this. I wish we had all spoken up more. The one producer in particular who has had multiple cases um, brought up against him, um, he did horrible things. He did horrible things to the people in his office. He did horrible things to the clients I had who worked with him. Um, there's no excuse for his behavior. And I really don't believe the agency knew everything. I do believe a lot of people were in on it. I do believe a lot of people had enough information that it should have been stopped much earlier. But I'm only sorry that the way the agency world worked back then in particular was it was a boys club and that really as women, their client or otherwise or agent we couldn't really stand out or make a scene or be heard. It sounds bizarre because, trust me, there were very powerful women there. 
there were studio heads at the time. I mean, there, there were tons of powerful women who were working the business, but all of us were also carrying around a lot of the shit that we had to put up with because it just was part of the game. Again, just play along with the big boys. Quit being a little brat, basically. Quit being a crybaby. And if those actresses had felt that they could have aligned themselves then and stopped it then, it would have been an incredible incredible thing to have seen um, and I'm so sorry for everything they went through um, I'm so sorry we didn't know all the details and I'm so sorry that they've spent so many years having to heal as you grow your business it's your business so you decide how you want to feel to be treated, and the respect that needs to be earned so that you can get that from others. So being a team leader, um, being a boss for employees, however you want to say it, you got to give what you get and get what you give. So don't ever stop running for the dream. Just know there's some bumps in the road and that's just part of how it works. And make sure you're always living your truth. I truly hope you've never experienced any workplace harassment. And I do hope that my experience and the voices that have been shared and told in these past couple of years with the Me Too movement um, will continue to make your workspace a much safer and healthier environment. Um, but if there is a story that you'd like to share, um, or if there's something that you would like to comment on, please DM me or tag me at The Confidence Crown and let me know. Thank you so much.